Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Oh, and expanded universe, we dabble in history, fall short in comedy, (laughs) stress the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every week. I'm Scott Artis from ScottArtis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Or BlackPearlShow.com, maybe. BlackPearlShow.com. Maybe you should get on board with the rebrand that we've done since Season 2. Thanks for joining us for Minute 95 of Dead Man's Chest. Or is it? Because yes, I have an announcement. A couple of them, actually. And hold your arses because one of them involves a giveaway. But oh yeah, firstly, here's the big one. We started out strong, moving along, delivering those daily episodes. Perhaps you remember the good old days. All that good pirate fun. But as we sailed along in season two, the rigors of like releasing a new episode each and every day. During the week, I should say. It was just impossible for our schedule. We dropped to three episodes per week, which seemed to help for a while. Got us caught up. Gave us that break we needed to push through. But even that eventually caught up to us. And then we realized what was actually sustainable was a weekly episode. And we only discovered that basically today. (laughs) Not five per week, but one new episode each week. It's like, hmm, maybe that's why most podcasts out there are on a weekly schedule. Because of the rigors of trying to do one every day or three days. It's hectic. Like I said on a recent episode, I'm involved with ocean conservation... An organization, nonprofit, and then I'm also the founder of Urban Bird Foundation, both of which means rescuing wildlife, saving habitat, and all that good stuff for the natural world. You know, stuff that supports Jack Sparrow escaping <laughs> from places. But it includes like these long hours during the week and weekends sometime, and then you throw in three dogs and just a desire to get out and about. It really creates like this hell of a schedule to keep, especially since I try to put in quite a bit of research for each episode. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't appear that we actually put in a lot of research, because sometimes that stuff just doesn't pan out, but it's there nonetheless. It does happen. (laughs) So over the weekend, we conducted a bit of soul searching, digging for the treasure in our hearts, because there's no way we can give up this show. I mean, we love it. Heck no. But the answer floated like smoothly in, just like the Jolly Mon did with Jack Sparrow on it. Kind of. It was, you know, sinking. sink. No. (laughs) Well, maybe we were, but that's how we (laughs) saved it. We stepped off before it sank. And that's where this idea hit us. It's like a slap from Jack the Monkey. Or maybe Scarlet and Giselle. Once a week. That's like the ticket. That's a schedule we can keep and be consistent. And consistency is key in this business and growing our audience. That's for sure. Yes. But more importantly, delivering to you the best possible show we can each week. That's what we want to do. Devoting the time needed to like produce a great show then. Well, okay mediocre for us let's just we'll just throw that out there plus 
This format will actually enable us to drop in those episodes that we're always talking about, those mysterious bonus ones or things like that that we want to cover. It's like all these things in the Pirates of the Caribbean films, expanded universe, like franchise spanning questions, film breakdowns by minutes like we're doing, all of that stuff. But we just weren't able to get to it. We just couldn't make it happen. So that's the gist. Starting with this episode, we're moving to a weekly format. This one airs on Monday because we wanted to give everybody a heads up, especially since we've been like appearing and disappearing. Let's have one there so people go, oh, they are alive still. (laughs) But next week, our regular day will be Wednesday. So it's going to be every Wednesday, we're going to drop a new episode. That's, for Heather, let me repeat this, each Wednesday, a new freaking episode. A new episode, Heather, every Wednesday. How many times do I have to repeat that? It'll be waiting there, you know, to make your ears bleed. And more than that, each episode may end up being a bit longer than the approximate 30 minutes that we try to strive for for the regular minute episodes. And that's in addition to episodes that cover other aspects of Pirates and Pirates of the Caribbean, the traditional kind of movies by minute format we began with. And so now the idea is is that we're going to cover five minutes per regular kind of minute breakdown episode. It's like a compromise from like how we began to where we are now. So we're still like squishing the five minutes of movies into a week and continuing our weekly segments like Pirate Word of the Week. What? We're just doing it in one day. Exactly. It's like squishing it all together. (laughs) So yeah, we'll still have all those things. Like I said, Pirate Word of the Week, Really Bad Eggs, some of those recurring segments. And I've also been toying with the idea of having a brief segment where we announce like upcoming pirate festivals. Hmm. But... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if people would be interested in that or... I don't know. I mean, it does create like a really outdated show for that segment. Oh, yeah. But if it's brief, the rest of the show would continue to stand the test of time. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Because I'll think about it. Although it's worth saying, some weeks may be another kind of Pirates of the Caribbean topic like I was talking about. It will be like the evolution from Pirates of the Caribbean Minute to the Black Pearl show. Because we'll be able to talk about all that kind of stuff. So there you go, or however you want to say it. There you have it. Okay, let me just say savvy. Savvy. (laughs) I mean, as always, feel free to let us know what you think. We always like the listener feedback, good and bad. Well, mostly we like the good, but send us if there's anything bad to you. You got it. Heather doesn't want to see it. I won't share it with Heather, but you can send it and then I'll do that. But all the usual channels, podcast at blackpearlshow.com, to the pirate hotline, 8637-PIRATE. Social media, hit us up, let us know. But we're doing this for our pirate sanity. Yes. Because it's one of those things that if we continued down that road, we would just end up like burning where we weren't able to keep up and it would just disappear. So this is like stepping in to correct that and make sure that the show will continue for a long time. The show will go on. The show will go on. So I hope everyone's okay with it. And we'd love the dedication and the listeners. That's definitely for sure. And I'm also hoping this new format will free up time to participate in more, like, on our show's social media channels, too. Because I anticipate the show will get better and grow with this new format. That's my goal. Additionally, this will allow us to pursue kind of other weekly show ideas that we've had. Not ideas. Okay, idea. That we've wanted to do for quite a long time. But that actually won't happen until we make sure Black Pearl's show continues to get the attention it deserves as well as the audience get that attention, too. But it's something that potentially could allow that to happen but there's no promises yet so now that's what i wanted to say on the show the kind of format change wednesdays weekly new episode there you go 
Now there's the second announcement. It's that little old giveaway thing we were talking about. The second annual Black Pearl Show listeners contest. Yeah, it's kind of coming. We're finalizing the package, making sure we have everything. And kind of on the next episode, I think Wednesday, that's a... How many times do I have to say it? Dang it. Wednesday next week, we'll announce the contest and how to enter, all that stuff. But it's shaping up to be awesome. So tell your friends and family to start listening if they like Pirates of the Caribbean and Pirates. Or if they just want to win something. (laughs) I don't care. Because I'm excited about the package we're putting together. should be fun. It should be. Swashbuckling fun. As long as I don't take it beforehand. You know, and we were... (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That is true. And I was toying with the idea of putting, like we had last time, like the movie set in there. But then I was like, wait a second. Most of the people who listen to this show, damn near everybody probably, has the set already, or most of them. Yeah. So I'm kind of shying away from that. Unless I'm wrong. I mean, you can always let us know if we get like a ton of people saying, what? We don't have it. And then hit me up with it. And I'll rethink that. Okay, that's probably enough of the announcements for today. So let's get the pirate action rolling. Or sailing. Something like that. It'll be familiar. Not just covering one minute. But five minutes, that's what we're going to do today. Imagine, okay, here we go. Imagine one minute per weekly episode. I mean, one freaking movie would take us three years to complete. That's why we got five minutes per episode, folks. (laughs) So to kick off the show, of course, we gots to have us a Pirate Word of the Week. Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in five, four, three, two, yarrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
Thanks for bringing us the history to this time. It's <laughs> unexpected. I wanted to change it up. A yeah, bit. you did change it up. I wasn't expecting it. But what is the same? In the previous minute, Will Turner just misses the chance to take part in getting Elizabeth out of her dress. That honor goes to the crew of the Edinburgh Trader. Congrats, boys. Something tells me they're going to cherish that eye-opening spiritual memory for minutes to come. <laughs> I say minutes. On a less enticing note, Captain Bellamy pretends he doesn't believe in spirits but follows their orders, while fishy Davy Jones gives Bootstrap the good old giant claw around the neck routine. Minute 95 begins with Davy Jones heatedly pulling his claw from the neck of Bootstrap Bill. Flying Dutchman crew members are raising the capstan at the crack of a whip. Davy Jones begins inspiring the crew by saying, Let no joyful voice be heard. Minute 99 ends with Davy Jones telling Kalinico, Who sent that thieving charlatan onto my ship? Who told them of the key? Jones then turns away from Kalinico, clearly upset that Will Turner was not recovered after the Kraken's attack on the Edinburgh Trader. So I thought we might set the stage with a few quotes from this set of minutes. Something to get the discussion rolling. Because there's a bit of poetry and even like an oh shiite moment here that plays out. It's a mixed bag of quotes I noted, is what I did. Okay. So we got Davy Jones. I'll kick off with him. Kind of bounce around a little bit. Let no joyful voice be heard. Let no man look up to the sky with hope. And let this day be cursed by we who ready to wake the Kraken. So this is just like an excellent prelude to the action that is unleashed. The, like the brutality for the sailors on the Edinburgh Trader. But it, it has like this buildup itself. We're left wondering what in the Holy Tentacles is going to go on here as the crew are raising the capstan hammer there. Because we don't know the Kraken at first. Because he's saying that while they're winding that thing up. Right. For the audience, we don't really know what the hell's going on there. Which, by the way, has this like incredible mechanical, and I'd almost say it's like a steampunk feel, if it weren't made of wood. Because it ratchets up as they turn it. It's like this jagged procession that then locks and then it fires. It like reverberates across the ocean that has this eerie callback to Curse of the Black Pearl when the Aztec gold touches the water. Oh, yeah. Summoning the cursed Barbosa and the Pearl at the time there. That's kind of what I got out of that. Because it really packs that punch of, damn, a terrible beastie has been unleashed. <laughs> and I'd say it's a more dramatic release than the awesome Ray Harryhausen that involved Clash of the Titans from 1981. Because Sir Lawrence Olivier, playing Zeus, says release the Kraken. Now, I'm not going to lie. I wanted Davy Jones to say release the Kraken. <laughs> I really did. I was waiting for it. But he doesn't say that. He does it, but he doesn't say it. I really wanted release the Kraken. Because as a kid, watching Clash of the Titans as many times as humanly possible, I really liked the phrase release the Kraken because you know what? All kind of hell was coming loose. Maybe they couldn't get the, be able to use that phrase. Oh, I don't think that's a trademarked phrase. Are you sure? I don't know. Although right now, trademarked. I'm putting it on a shirt. Release the Kraken. Because you would think if they could have used it, they would have. I don't know. Because then that maybe that was too much. Maybe this was it's more... Too cliche. Yeah, poetic like this. Because obviously, it doesn't beat Harryhausen like the movie kind of stuff. I mean, but the dialogue in the scene for the release of the Kraken here, they're much better in Pirates of the Caribbean. But obviously, Ray Harryhausen is a Aztec god. It's almost like a spell he has to say to release the Kraken. Okay, that's exactly what I wanted to say next. Because I get the sense that Davy Jones says this before summoning the Kraken every time. Yeah. Yet Bootstrap only reacts when he actually says the word Kraken. 
It's like he oh, yeah. is also on the edge of his seat. Like, I wonder what the hell is going to happen here. And then all of a sudden he's like the Kraken bootstraps like, no. It's like he was Darth Vader just, <laughs> just getting the suit on at the end of Revenge of the Sith. That's what Bootstrap is doing here. And that's what I was wondering. Because is it me or is it like a one-time thing for Jones to have this speech before the capstan drops? Or because if it happens all the time, then Bootstrap should have realized that this big cuttlefish thing, this squid, all this Kraken action was happening and Will would be in trouble. Unless Bootstrap hasn't been there when... Really? Come on, he's at, been on, on the... deck when they release it. Oh, I can't believe that. I don't know. I think they all huddle around to hear him say these poetic words. Or does it only sink in when Jones actually says Kraken? So maybe he maybe knows that it's there yeah. and he's just like, maybe he's not going to say Kraken at the end. Well, the Kraken means the death of his son. That's what I'm saying. So maybe it was like building up in him and then he finally just like, oh my God, this is really going to happen. Yeah. Because at least Bootstrap sees the destruction on the, like, water ahead that this is not good for Will. Right. Because there's also that stunned look on his face after kind of the fact here. But I'm not sure that it's because of his son. Or did, like, the special effects guy tell him to be very still so they could animate the barnacle on his face? <laughs> at the very end. <laughs> to make end. it move? Yeah, because that's kind of... feather duster starts yeah, coming out? Yeah, because I'm talking, I'm, like, jumping from one part of it to the next. Like, in the way end when they don't recover Will. Yeah. The father's kind of, bootstrap's kind of sitting there. But that's what I was wondering. It's like, I don't know what's going on. It's like, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> to move so he could have that little animated barnacle. But maybe it was still sinking in. The next on my list, though, because we can circle back to some of that, comes from Bursar. Bursar, however you want to say it. Bursar, I'll say it. Edinburgh Trader, the guy. He says, mother carries chickens. <laughs> what happened? What is that? But mothers carry chickens. You know? I'm really loving this. I think I'm adding this to my lingo. See, you know, you brought us history. You could have brought us chicken action today. <laughs> because it has this rich history associated with it when I looked it up. Because I was sitting there, what in the blimey hell is he talking about? Why on earth would you be saying something about a mother carrying chickens? Turns out I was mistaken. Mean? Not carry as in C-A-R-R-Y, but a name like mother carry. C-A-R-E-Y. Oh, mother carries chickens. Yeah. And it gives me this kind of chance to, what? <gasps> Drop some sweet-ass history. There we go. Sweet-ass history on the way. Heather thought she could bring history today? No. I'm bringing sweet-ass history. Mother Carrie's chicken style. Seafaring. Nautical history. And that with a pinch of folklore. Oh, scallywag. That's what I have to say with that. Plus, it fits Pirates in with my... and folklore? How could that be? <laughs> yeah, true. Fits in with my bird conservation work, too. Kind of loosely, though, only because it has a bird connotation other than chickens. <laughs> Mother Carrie's Chickens has a nautical origin that actually refers to the storm petrel. And keeping it simple here, petrels are tube-nosed seabirds that venture far offshore. Like, you know, far roving birds out in open ocean kind okay. of thing. So we'll just leave it there for now. But anyways, the first confirmed use of the phrase according to worldhistories.net is in 1773 in a book entitled An Account of a Voyage Around the World in the Years 1766, 1767, whoo, 1768, and 1769. The guy got really creative. He didn't want to put 1766 through 1769. He needed to call it all out. Like, no, I was really out there adventuring it up. So let me just 
at each date individually. He, he wanted his boss to know he was doing it every year. That's true. It was uh, Philip Carteret, Esquire, commander of his majesty's sloop, the Swallow. Hmm. Really went in with the titles on that, too. But here's the passage. 1767. Because nothing really happened before that, even though he put that on there. But April, Saturday, 18th, just so you know. From the time of our clearing the Strait of Magellan, and during our passage along the coast, we saw a great number of seabirds, particularly albatrosses, gannets, shearwaters, and a thick, lumpish bird, about as large as a pigeon, which sailors call a Cape of Good Hope hen. They are of dark brown or blackish color, and therefore sometimes called the black gull. We saw also a great many pintado birds of nearly the same size, which are pretty spotted with black and white and constantly on the wing, though they frequently appear as if they were walking upon the water. Like the petrels, to which sailors have given the name Mother Carries Chickens, and we also saw many of these. So there you go. That's the passage that it's in, 1767. So the idea is that this nickname is possibly a mistranslation of the Latin Mater Cara, or Italian Madre Cara. From 1364 there, meaning dear mother as kind of a used as an epithet for the Virgin Mary. Huh. So today we would say like, oh, mother, or something like that. Okay, insert your explicitive here of choice, you know, something like that. Now that such stuff has gone mainstream to some extent. But the reason is that sailors thought the storm petrol was the harbinger of bad weather sent by the Virgin Mary. And that's why you should not... Blaspheme her, I guess, if you're out on the water as a mariner. Guess so. But in 1889, American Notes and Queries said that Mother Carrie's chickens was an English corruption of the dear mother that Italians gave to the Virgin Mary. And as I said previously, you know, that kind of epithet for the Virgin Mary there. But it's noted that since the time immemorial, she has been regarded as the special patroness of mariners. She's like the protector of the sailors there. And not creating storms? No. But she would send it, though, for those bad ones. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah, she was a patron. The uh, patroness of mariners. So that's it. Very That's interesting. where mothers carry, Mother Carries Chickens comes from. Huh, interesting. And he said that. But it is a little on the late side for our stuff here. But given that it is in the 18th century, I'm going to give it to him. <laughs> kind of. Loosely. Then, of course, we have uh, Will Turner. He's on my list of quotes. This is pretty simple. Doomed us all. Because I can't leave that off my list. No. Because Will finally is seeing all his actions have ramifications here. <laughs> Not that I think it would change his decision. Because then again, his duty is to save the fiancé hopping Elizabeth. He's got to, you know, she's bouncing around. He's got to save her. And stripping in front of these guys anyway, so. Exactly. Yeah. But man, I mean, that's the. Dedication to the pirate woman by getting all those dudes killed. Yeah. Sentencing them to death. You had to have realized that was coming, right? Yes. You have to realize if you steal the key to Davy Jones's chest, the dead man's chest, he's coming after you. He didn't know about the Kraken, though. Will? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He knew something had to... Oh, I don't know if he knew about the Kraken. You're correct. Because he did see the destruction on the ship and Davy Jones there, so he knows that terrible stuff happens with Jones. But I don't know if he knew about the Kraken. Right. So, I don't know. But he knew that a terrible plague would be upon them. And that the Dutchman, Davy Jones, would be hunting him down for sure yeah. if he has the key. I mean, come on. Would he think that Edinburgh would outrun the, the Yeah, that Dutchman? was a mistake there, Sir Will. Yeah. That ain't going to happen. You can't even get those guys going. <laughs> exactly. Because he would have to 
He should have lit a fire under those guys. Yeah. But then again, I don't know. He could have really played up the whole Davy Jones aspect, the Flying Dutchman. They already believed in the spirit of the dress. Right. He could have played that up and like, let's get the hell out of here. I was on a ship and they're coming after me. Flying Dutchman's after us. Although, then again, they could have thrown him overboard. Very true. As these superstitious guys would have been like, hell, yeah, this guy's going overboard. Yeah, very true. I don't know. Then the idiot, because I got to have another bursar here. The superstitious bursar thinks he can actually make an offering to the Kraken, like Clash of the Titans. <laughs> Take it as he holds the dress up. I mean, really, the Kraken is there for a banshee spirit wearing dress as opposed to a bit of man meat. I mean, <laughs> what is he going to choose? Meat Sue's the savage beast. That's why that sailor gets dropped right into that Sarlacc pit of a mouth there. But you have to give credit to Gore Verbinski, or maybe it was Ted and Terry. Because Bursar was the same guy giving the thanks to the spirit in the previous minute. Well, it took us to Tortuga. Yeah. A hefty profit there. (laughs) So it's like consistency what counts. It's like we were saying with the show. Here it's consistency as well with the character. He really really falls for that mythology stuff. That dress is going to save him. I know. And I would say everyone should leap off the ship too. Like I'm getting the hell off this thing. Right. But as we kind of covered before... Many of these sailors couldn't swim. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's just a fact of the day. That means it's a catch-22 thing going on here. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're in deep uh, cracking. Yeah. Going on there. It's also a good transition that just happened because I wanted to talk some cracking. Some good cracking. <laughs> Legends of the cracking, maybe. They actually go back many years. Seagoing mythology. The word kraken was first heard in the 12th century Norwegian legends, referring to a creature the size of an island... And usually depicted as a giant squid. In these legends, the Kraken normally lived at great depths. I really love the PTH on this show. <laughs> it's like I can say it in real life, but on a show, that's not that's not going to happen. But have like this Kraken thing. It's been sighted at the surface and having reportedly attacked ships in this Norwegian folklore. And the Kraken's many tentacles could reach the top of the ship's main mast and could, without any effort, capsize a fully rigged vessel. Wow. Perhaps we've seen it here. Cracks it in two. And in Norse mythology, the kraken was a creature from sea so large that on the surface it was mistaken for like these chain of islands, actually. Not just an island. And seamen were often lost when they camped on what they thought was an island. Only to be drowned when the creature swam back to the bottom of the sea. Wow. So guys were out there. You didn't realize there was texture to your island? (laughs) Hey, that's a good point. Not sand? This is not the normal sand here. I mean, it's a little really, slimy. Right? A little slimy. It seems to be breathing a little. Hey, we can't analyze and scrutinize Norse mythology. It just doesn't <laughs> hold up. It doesn't hold up. Really doesn't. <laughs> if you ever find yourself on a slimy island, I suggest uh, get off of on. it. You better move on. Yeah, move on. Move along. Move along. This isn't the island you're looking for. <laughs> But it had large tentacles and suckers with which it could seize large ships, as I was saying, and drag them down. And the Norse believed that Kraken would rise to the surface at the end of the world. So there's a lot going on there. At the end of the world? Captain Bellamy met the end of the world, for himself at least. Yep. But the overall length of the Kraken has been depicted as similar to the length of 10 ships, which would be approximately 1,400 feet in total length. Jeez. And its body resembles a massive, some say cuddle-like fish... Cuddle-like fish. A cuttlefish-like cephalopod (laughs) with long, sharp tail similar to a squid. So it's kind of like a hybrid. But in this movie, it almost looks like it's about the same size as a ship here. 
Yeah. Although maybe because it's like squished in a ball because we do get that like underwater shot with Will. He kind of glimpses at it. Maybe because it's squished up. But we do see it, I think, elsewhere. Maybe not. Actually, maybe we don't. You know what? I was thinking of something else I was reading where we saw like a kraken like beast that like overshadowed the whole boat. It's weird how I just completely like merged the two. (laughs) By the way, what I'm referring to is Dark Ark is what I was talking about. It's this... uh, it's this, it's this highfalutin graphic novel. Some would call it maybe a comic, but graphic novel sounds so much better. Comic. How dare you? And it's Dark Ark. It's, you have Noah's Ark transporting all the animals, but this guy was transporting all the evil creatures mm. to keep them around, like Crackens the demons and evil. things like that. But no, he wasn't transporting that. That just happened to be a terrible beastie out there. Oh. And... uh I'm at a, oh, spoilers if anybody's reading Dark Ark, but I'm at a point where Noah is having to appease the Kraken. Let's just say two of every animal might not make it to the <laughs> to the end of the story. But that's off topic. And that Kraken was really large because it was bigger than Noah's Ark and it overshadowed it. But anyways, this one here, about the same size as the ship, although legend says it's supposed to be like 1,400 feet, 10 ships. So there you go. You know, the Kraken, they actually had a difficult time animating him. I can imagine. They had no real life reference to look at when they're going to animate him. Until the animation director, Hal T. Hickle. Hal T. Hickle. Instructed the crew to watch King Kong vs. Godzilla, the 1962 version. Hmm. Which had a real octopus crawling over miniatures. <laughs> hey, I'm going to say... I'm a fan of Godzilla. I like the man in the rubber suit. <laughs> so that's how they real figured out how to animate their hey, Kraken. Hey, first of all, I don't know if I should say like a man in a rubber suit. That has other connotations. Yeah. B. I just kind of let that go. Thank you. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's just not good. The euphemisms are running rampant. But that's interesting is that they use that as inspiration for it. Right. It'd be funny if you really looked at it. It looks like a guy in a rubber outfit. <laughs> the They're dog. like, do you guys, do you really want it to look like this? It's this guy like waving arms and these <laughs> other just rubber. Yeah. <laughs> but it was actually masterfully b- brought to life, though, by all these visual effects guys and these artists at Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah. They did a really good job they with did. it. Because the live action elements meticulously like calibrated with the visual effects plans that they had to outlay. And the Kraken sequences were extensively pre-visualized. And this is according to Supervisor John Knoll. And he was saying, we were literally shooting specific pieces to conform to that animatic blueprint. And the Kraken scenes are technically very complex because there's a lot of interaction with water. And we see shots looking down the hole of the ship with a dozen tentacles swarming around, picking characters off the deck. Putting the composites together was very difficult. Every shot takes months of effort, which wow. is incredible. Yeah. And I may have some thoughts on the whole Kraken thing coming up. Well, they even got some of the suction cups kind of moving around, too. Yeah, the suction cups were you know? interesting. There's, the, there's a lot of textures going on there. Yeah. It's crazy. Definitely. And the Kraken in Dead Man's Chest is inspired by a thousand years of seagoing mythology, including original Scandinavian legends. Okay, that's what we were talking about. But here's the kicker. Its appearance was perhaps a tip of the hat to the famed giant squid in Walt Disney Pictures' own 1954 classic... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, wow. In the Creating the Kraken featurette, Lee Ehrenberg, he's Pintel, identifies the Kraken as the same giant squid as an old Disney character. 
Because which, by the way, we did say that this, and I believe this was a previous episode, the scene where Davy Jones is playing his organ, <laughs> and he appears to be in pain. <laughs> Euphemism not intended. <laughs> Don't play your organ. You know, he's playing with it in pain and torment. It's got an issue. Be careful when you play with your do- organ. Yeah, definitely be careful with that. And he does so in reference to Disney's version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea as Captain Nemo played his organ. Hmm. Bunch of guys playing their organs. Disney, what's going on here? Because as he appeared to be in pain and torment as he did so. And so the second reference to this Disney classic film is right here. Krakens and organs. <laughs> That's what we got here. Doesn't get better than that, I think. Well, anyways. Krakens and organs. That right there may be the episode title. Krakens and organs? Krakens and organs. Make of it what you will. Make of it what you will. And so great was the creature's fame that it was even immortalized in British poet Alfred Lord Tennyson's The Kraken, which was written in 1830. And in the 20th century, stamp collectors could find the Kraken's image on postage stamps from such diverse countries as Canada and even the Commonwealth of Dominica, which is one of the Dead Man's Chest host countries for the filming. Oh, yeah. But I'll leave it there for now since we may just get more Kraken action later in the movie, unless you have some stuff. But it... If we're like stepping back in time for classic literature too, then I have something to come up. But I don't know if you have any more crack in action. No more crack in action. Okay. Yeah. So since we're talking classic literature, you know, I mentioned uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson. We should maybe throw in some classic film in there as well. Can't have classic literature in today's world without classic films. No, let's you just can't. say. Such classics as Jurassic Park. Star Wars. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking even further back. We get a famous recreation of a classic pirate stunt, is what I'm talking about. Something Errol that, Flynn? No Errol Flynn. Okay. Maybe. Kind of an Errol Flynn-like thing. Okay, there's some debate on that. And I gotta watch the Seahawk, because that's potentially what you're referencing. But something that graced the screens way back in the silent era, but probably known to more of our audience from either Goonies, and I'm calling you out, Sloth, <laughs> or maybe Mythbusters episode. Or perhaps to this very movie here, Pirates of the Caribbean, which is probably more likely that it's this movie as most people in our audience are familiar with the the stunt that I'm talking about here. Isn't the stunt in like every pirate movie ever made? Not every pirate movie ever made. How dare you? It's the one where Will is sliding down the sail and sticks his knife into the canvas to slow his fall, to ease his descent, making a nice gentle kind of landing of sorts. Alas, you mateys, I mean, that was pioneered by... Douglas Fairbanks in The Black Pirate, Hmm. way back when. So I jumped into a bit of light reading. Silent Films, 1877 to 1996, a critical guide to 646 movies. And I went through every one of those. Wow, to find this? I saw it, but I figured I can't report on it until I've actually scanned the whole book. Oh, okay. So I did. And that's where I uncovered a bit of the Black Pirate history of the film from 1926. Ah, the 20s. I remember those well. (laughs) Because you know what's sad? We're almost at a point where the 20s will be referring to the 2020s and not the 1920s. Yeah, right? Think of that. That's sad (laughs) and scary. Yeah. Oh, I remember the 10s. No, it's not the (laughs) 1910s anymore. It's the 2010s. Anyways, there's this, like, second... Okay, Black Pirate. Let me reset that. The Black Pirate is what we're talking about. It's part of this. It was the second feature film to be filmed entirely in two-strip Technicolor, which everyone in the audience is going, what? What the hell? Technicolor? That crazy... Doesn't really look right color. Yeah, we have good color these days. But anyways, here's something better. It's the first feature that was over an hour in length. First movie over an hour in length. An hour pirate movie. 
God, who could sit through such an adventure, let alone a 150-minute one? <laughs> Thank God for large popcorns and refills. It's it's that better Technicolor we've got now. That's right. If it was regular Technicolor, our eyes would melt out of our skulls. <laughs> but that's right. Popcorn and Technicolor, the, the better Technicolor. The better Technicolor. 20th century Technicolor. <laughs> exactly. Well, they don't really use Technicolor anymore. Oh, you do see on the end of movies. Do you? Yeah. It's like it still says Technicolor. Does it? So yeah. So it's just like take a a look at it. Okay, I will. But it's like it's it's like different than it was. I mean, it's not weird. Well, no, because I seen it. We were at the movies recently, and I seen it on one of the movies we've been to. Oh yeah, we were watching Gone with the Wind. Yeah. No. (laughs) On the very end, it said Technicolor on it. Oh. So they still use that. Technicolor's still out there doing stuff. Yep. I got. I guess I should look into what they're doing. Maybe we'll see what if this movie ends with it. We could talk about it. But anyways, the Black Pirate. It's in this movie that the first instance of using a knife on canvas to slide down a sail happened, and it was a stunt that's a claim to fame for this particular movie. And so while I was reading about the film, there was also this story that caught my attention. Some jealous Norrington kind of stuff. Kind of a tangent, a little bit, but not really, because I'm still talking about Black Pirate. In one of the final sequences of the movie, the Black Pirate kisses the princess. That'd be pretty standard fare. Yeah. But Mary Pickford, who is Douglas Fairbanks' wife, refused to let the actress playing the princess, Billy Dove, do the kissing scene with her husband. So she put on a wig and costume and played the scene herself. Wow. Mary Pickford got a bit of a Norrington jealous thing going on there. (laughs) It's like, let the green-eyed monster rear its ugly head there, Mary Pickford. Ah, our audience. Solid Mary Pickford fans, I bet. <laughs> but, Douglas Fairbanks on their walls, the posters. Actually, that's a good transition if we're talking about like rearing the ugly head, the ugliness. Because I have a list here that I spaghetti western together a bit. Because I can make spaghetti western a verb there. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because there's actually more good than bad or ugly. but Or maybe the list doesn't work now that I think about it. I don't know. But it's kind of a good, the bad, the ugly. So while I was actually talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly, Heather's now searching Technicolor because she really doesn't listen to anything I say. I do sometimes. Technicolor got... I was wondering what I seen it in on. Well, Technicolor, thank you for doing your job because it actually works with the world's leading storytellers to bring their visions to the big screen exactly as they imagined it. That is what they do through industry-leading color finishing. They're experts on it, like visual effects, sound mixing, and animation... They ensure what you actually see and hear in the theaters is exactly what the filmmaker intended. It's kind of like what I do here, or Heather does here. We break down exactly what the filmmaker meant with their euphemisms in the films. That's what we do. Yeah, maybe you've seen their latest creation, or one of them, probably a billion of them. Infinity War. It's this little movie, Avengers, maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've heard of it. It's an independent flick. Mostly at art houses. Didn't really get around much. So there you go. Also Jungle Book. That's the one you want to bring up? I guess you could bring up Jungle Book because it is a tie-in to what we do it's here. It's a Disney movie. But isn't Avengers Affinity War? No. No, look at how you made me put that. <laughs> Disney's Infinity War also Disney because I said it right there. I mean, it's Marvel, Disney. Oh, uh, yeah. But you just wanted something more traditional Disney, didn't you? Yeah. You didn't like Marvel. You know what? How dare you? <laughs> But anyways, the good, the bad, and the ugly, my list, first one on there is the good. This is the dress floating on the water. Because there's multiple reasons for this making my list, including a bit of a callback to Curse of the Black Pearl. We already had one, now I got another callback. This dress. 
It's almost like when Elizabeth's dress was floating underwater after being saved by Captain Jack Sparrow. That's what it reminded me of. Oh, yeah. So that's a second callback. Another good, the music. And we talked about the particular pieces of the music that show up here before. But its use in the scene accentuates a couple of elements, actually. And firstly, when the Kraken cracks the ship in half there, Davy Jones's organ music interrupts the sound. It's like this excellent use of reminding us that indeed Davy Jones is the sea. Mm. As he says in this set of minutes anyways. Yeah. Plus it also tells us the Kraken is doing the bidding of Jones himself too. That's why they right. play his music. It's yeah. like it's the Kraken's not just acting on its own accord. It's actually doing what Davy Jones intends it to do. He was the one who called the Kraken to attack the ship. Otherwise the Kraken's just a good fella. It's just a, a nice So nice Davy Jones thing. is a bad guy. The that's, Kraken is a good that's guy. That's right. And it's not just some powerful like modern tune, but some organ music that plays into the tragedy of Davy Jones. And that's all part of this. Right. And that's the, what also kind of maybe gets us back to the dress. Because the second music element with the dress floating on the water, the music box starts playing that music. Oh, yeah. And you add that to Davy Jones' painful look as he reminisces about the lost Calypso love while he's looking at the dress. He kind of gets lost in himself he, he there does. for a minute. He does. Well, he gets lost in that dress. Yeah. He's looking at the dress, and that's all he's thinking about at that moment until Makis interrupts him. Yeah. Interrupts his train of thought, and then he's like, oh, this is what we're doing. Yeah, because he was just completely... It, got, it threw him for a loop to see that. Yeah. And that's why it's so powerful and creative, because it's a connection to Davy Jones and his life. It's like why he's the way he is. Yeah. And because it also calls back to Elizabeth Swan, it connects Will to his lost love. The reason he's doing what he's doing. So it's like both Jones and Will on this road of action because of love. Mm-hmm. All tied together by a dress floating in the water, which yeah. is interesting to me anyways. Then I got some ugly, though, I got to bring up. I got to bring up the ugliness. The Flying Dutchman in the Spyglass is just a... You know, it's like a bit of messy CG for me. I mean, I realize it's like supposed to be a bit wavy because of 18th century glass or maybe some unnatural fog or whatever. Yeah. But it just didn't work for me on a 4K TV. I mean, it might be ugly. It's not entirely bad, but it's kind of just ugly messy. I don't know. Something about it didn't sit right with me. Yeah. I look at it and I go, God, that just doesn't look right. Well, I had quite a few of the special effects. That actually looked better on the television than my iPad. I wonder if because the iPad was having some higher resolution or... I don't know. My iPad was pulling up some stuff that I was like, this looks cartoony, you know? (laughs) And then I'm like, I'm going to watch it on the television. And it wasn't as cartoony on the television as it was on the iPad. Well, that leads me to my bad kind of thing. I mean, because it has good and bad points. It really is the Kraken and the animation with that. Because there's some scenes that just don't hold up completely. A decade later, I should say. Some really work well. It feels right. It looks real. But other times the whipping things around, keeping the CG crisp and like in this realism moment, it just doesn't translate. It really doesn't. Yeah. It has like some off moments. I mean, some of those moments are when distinguishing the tentacles in the foreground and those in the background. It's like trying to mask some of it with like this unnatural fog again. It just ends up with like a discoloration that takes me out of the realism of the CG Kraken. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know it's 10 years old and we're dealing with 4K TVs and all that stuff that nobody ever realized would happen. So from that standpoint, I'm good. You know, I realize that. But critically analyzing, there are some animation elements that 
really break down a little. But all in all, I think ILM did a leap in technology here. Yeah. So I don't want to criticize it too much. No, it was good. Just, you know, there's a few things don't stand up, but. Yeah. I mean, he turned out really good. I think so. And well, then what there's. he is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a Curse of the Black in a Pearl. Suit. <laughs> yeah, well. It's better than a man in a rubber suit, except when you want a man in a rubber suit. And when I go to a Godzilla movie, you want barring, a, man in a rubber suit, barring, and we talked about this, Shin Godzilla. I'm a big Godzilla fan. Yes. I am. Trust me. Oh yeah, we know. I wasn't pleased with that. No, I just there's you were a very, lot. Wait, there's a lot of things. Very upset with it. I was upset with it. I had expectations, and I went in there and I was expecting something else, and I didn't get it. I expected Shin Godzilla to take me back to a time of Man in the Rubber Suit Godzilla, Toho action. And I understand the big budget Godzilla movies that have, well, the one that's came out and another one coming. That I don't expect Man in Rubber Suit action. Straight from Japan, Toho kind of action. Yeah, I wanted Man in Rubber Suit. (laughs) But I also wanted some of the typical plot stuff. I don't want to see government bureaucracy happening because there's a... Godzilla on the loose. And didn't we go like after work one night because that was the only time it was showing it was, or something? It was a limited showing. Of course we did. Yeah. Which we never ever do. go to, Even go to the movies at night, but go after work. And for you it was difficult because it was all dubbed. Or not dubbed. It wasn't even dubbed. It was actually closed caption. Kind of yeah. English caption. Yeah. So there you go. But enough about Shin Godzilla. In my, You can... Send me notes on Shin Godzilla if you want to talk Godzilla with me. But uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is not it. But we'll just leave it as good stuff, bad stuff, and maybe some ugliness when it comes to the Kraken. With respect that it's 10 years old and they kicked butt. So let me just say that. And I'll just leave it there. I mean, I don't want to go too far down the road, but I don't think that there's also much there on the negativity front anyway. No, no. I don't know. Do you want to add anything to that? No. Okay. So how about we uh, then jump to really bad eggs? You good oh, I did have. One oh, I thing. knew it. That's why I paused. I swear to God, I knew it. What? <laughs> There's more proof that Davy Jones feels his ship. Okay. When Will is like hanging on the side of the ship and peeking over mm. and watching everybody get killed, Davy Jones senses he's there. Yeah, I think I, I remember that, and it's good you brought it up because I'm still kind of trying the new format where we're like taking five minutes because we're used to analyzing just. One minute at a time where we could really dive deep. So I'm glad you brought that up. Is I wasn't sure if it... Because that kind of plays into the part where he says, I am the sea in a way. Uh So is he feeling that... He doesn't feel that Will was taken by the Kraken? Because that's a good question I have. Because Davy Jones's job is to ferry souls to the other side. So he should know when someone dies or not. The fact that he doesn't feel Will was a little troubling to me because I thought, okay, you're the farrier of souls, things that are dead. You should know. It's like the Grim Reaper kind of thing. You should know when something's dead. Right. You should feel it. And also, if you are the sea and part of it, then you should also know like what's going on with the sea. So I think that he's kind of left, okay, I don't see him. I don't know what's going on. Maybe something's here that I don't get. I can't put my finger on it. And that's why he's getting like the... I sense something awry here. Right. He feels the presence of Will. I mean, it's a possibility that he doesn't think Will was even on that ship. You oh, know? Oh, I don't know. How you does know that... what I mean? That's Because he doesn't know that that's the first ship they came upon, but he doesn't know for a fact that Will was on that ship. 
That's a good question. Does he feel that Will was out there and got like taken off the ocean? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but that's a good question. And if so, that's just a hell of a leap to just destroy those guys for nothing then. Just because that was the first ship. Although he's angry. I mean, he's an angry man. He's just an angry person. Anybody he's going to come across now is going to be destroyed because he's looking for the key. He doesn't care who he kills. I mean, why do you take down that first ship? That's a good question. So that's what he does. Yeah. Okay. That's true. But he knew, though, because they were saying how Will, we didn't find him. He must have went down. So he knew that he was there. It's like he could feel it. Or he just assumed like, hey, we're so far the hell out here. Yeah. The only possible thing to pick him up is this ship. Right. I don't know. Those are some good unknowns that we'll have to talk about. But yeah, he feels Will. He feels Will. So he he knows something's up. Right. That's, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, now can we jump to Really Bad Eggs? Yep. Or are you done? Do you got anything else? You nope, better get it out right now. I'm good. Anyways, Really Bad Eggs is a segment where we highlight our favorite quotes from the last five minutes. Give them a little shout out, if you will. So let's kick this off. Order up. We're devils and Really Bad Eggs. Drink up. Yo-ho. 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 What do you have for really bad eggs this time? Take this. Take this. You're going burser. <laughs> and it's really not even the words. It's more of that he's trying to offer up this wedding dress to appease the Kraken. You know what I mean? Here, Kraken, take this wedding dress and the spirit that goes along with it and be away with you. So it's kind of like, you know, it's interesting that he says that because it gets back to that mother carries chickens. The dear mother, the relation and the connotation and the connection to the Virgin Mary, who we found out because somebody did the research, namely Scott, that she was the, well, petrels and stuff like that were the harbingers of storms and bad luck, that kind of stuff. But also that the Virgin Mary was like the protectus, something like that. Yeah. Of mariners. Right. You know, the patroness of mariners. And so for him, it's appropriate, again, for him to be calling all this out and having all this superstition. Yeah. Trying to appease that Kraken, like, oh, God, I hope this works because I can't swim. Because <laughs> you know there's a guy who's more of an accountant. He's like the bookkeeper. That's yeah. what the, the money guy. You know he can't swim. No, no. He's just there because it's good money. Yeah, exactly. So he's toast. Anything else on that? Nope. Since I uh, already talked about mine a bit, I'm going to take a different approach. And, and I settled on this, and I didn't even really go back, which is I should have, is through all five minutes and looked at the dialogue or listened to the dialogue. I mean, I could look at it, but listen better. a couple better. minutes without much dialogue. But I, uh, I came back to Davy Jones and his speech while summoning the Kraken, because I had mm-hmm. some interesting stuff with that. So it's a bit different take. It's, let no joyful voice be heard. Let no man look up to the sky with hope. And let this day be cursed by we who ready to wake the Kraken. And I just imagine this as some spiritual origin, kind of the, the way it goes down with Jones on the Flying Dutchman. Uh-huh. And it turns out it's actually a paraphrased version of chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 of the book of Job. Oh, really? Yeah. And that actually says, Lo, that night, let it be gloomy. Let no singing come unto it. Let the cursors of the day mark it, who are ready to wake up Leviathan. Huh. There you go. Wow. That's the connection. And then there's one of those poor Edinburgh traders, like I said, gets dropped into the mouth of the terrible beastie. It's kind of like a Leviathan, 
kind of rings true. Sure, that's probably why Terry and Ted chose it. I don't think this story has a happy ending, though, for them. No. Then there's also the link to Jonah. Jonah and the whale, I guess, in a way. There's no Pinocchio thing here. Definitely (laughs) happening. I don't think they're coming back out, is all I'm saying. No, they probably won't. Well. I didn't say these guys. How dare you jump ahead? I don't know. That's it for me. I... I'm just now like, what is going on here as I'm starting to think about stuff? (laughs) Swallowed by a whale or a kraken, doesn't matter. They're still swallowed. And the first episode of our new format as we're feeling our way through it. I don't know. Anything else for you? That's it for me. So, I mean, just uh, thanks for all the support and listening. Because we appreciate it, you dirty, filthy bilge rats. (laughs) That's how much we appreciate it. That's why I had that term of endearment for everybody. And by all means, let us know if you have any questions or comments. About any of it. Shin Godzilla. Let me know. <laughs> you know, what, what do we have to say? The new format, kind of the once a week. I don't know. All of that stuff. Not that I'm saying we would change it back because I do got to preserve my sanity. Yeah. But I'd still be interested to hear what you think. So we'll be back next Wednesday with the latest episode of the Black Pearl Show. However, I'm not sure if we're going to discuss minute 100 through 104 or do a special topic. Maybe something about love triangles. Perhaps. I know. We'll see. Either way, until then, scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum and our insanity to a minimum. There we go. That's good. Yeah, I'll just say thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions that's actually a lot to remember especially if you're in a foggy haze like heather just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button perhaps i should have just said that from the beginning This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.